It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome into the latest edition of ESPN FC. I'm Dan Thomas, joined by Craig Burley here in the studio. We'll kick things off in the Premier League. We're head to Old Trafford. Manchester United taking on Leicester. United, of course, are flying of late. However, it would be Leicester with the better of the two sides in the first half. Ian Acho with the opportunity here to break the deadlock. Great save by De Gea. Well, you're right, Leicester were flying in the first 20 minutes. Not a lot more he can do here, Ian Acho. Scrambling De Gea from his left post to his right. Brilliant save. But then Manchester United turn over the ball in midfield. This is in the 25th minute and now Rashford's one-on-one -on -one and we know what happens here. Yeah, he's so good in this position and certainly has been of late. Not even a thought about passing. What do you think here, Craig? Red card, should it have been for Savita? It was a clumsy challenge. I think it's more of a flick. And I was okay with the decision that was on the field. Uh, into the second half, Fred free through Rashford. Initially, this was given offside, but VAR overturned it, 2-0. Yeah, Lensman put his flag up as you said, but it was super tight and he had just timed his run perfectly. Here he is. And then it would be 3-0. This is a great interplay here. Sancho, Fernandez, Sancho, 3-0. Kenny summed up United in the second half. They were excellent, deserved their win and it continues to go from strength to strength. Yeah, very much so then. United uh, beating Leicester City comfortably in the end by three goals to nil. So what does that mean? Well, it means they just have three points off City at the top, oh sorry, in second. Arsenal, meanwhile, five points clear. Arsenal do have a game in hand. Eric Ten Hag not pulling any punches though after that first half performance. This is what he had to say about it after the game. I was really unhappy with our performance. We have to follow the rules and principles of our way of playing. When we don't, it's a mess. We were really lucky at halftime that we were one goal up. It was a great goal, but the rest it was rubbish. Wow. Speaking of rubbish, it's Nayna Manu and Jan Agafjortov, everyone, to give us their <laughs> thoughts on what happened in the game. I mean, he set standards, does he not? Well, I mean, what was the game? It was the Arsenal game. He, he hammered them. Yes, yeah, but first half they weren't very good, though, no, to be fair, first, were they? And uh, that's well, what he was talking about. Sec I mean, the first 20 minutes, uh, they got pummeled yeah. and should have been behind. I think it's more the start of the game he's talking about. In all fairness to United, though, in the second half, they just dismantled Leicester. Completely. They just dismantled them altogether. And, and I think that's what, what he's trying to point out to his players. I'm sure he's said it to them in the dressing room. He's certainly done it in public. It's like, you know, we won't get away with that kind of start against better teams, uh, but we were allowed to today. David De Gea kept the minutes, some poor finishing, some wasteful chances. But second half, I must give them, I must say again, second half they played some wonderful stuff. Uh, they, they really, it's rolling back the years really for United, Nadem. These teams turning up to Old Trafford and just getting rolled over, particularly as Craig mentioned in the second half, proving they're the real deal. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I think the talk before the game was the last time they lost at Old Trafford was that first game of the season, I believe, to Brighton. And it feels like such a long, long time ago because we thought maybe they've not been doing that well since then, but clearly they have. That place has turned into somewhat of a fortress. But I think I like what the manager said, Ten Hag, in saying that the performance in the first half wasn't brilliant because he's saying it like it is. He's obviously very happy with the second half, but he doesn't want to have to make those adjustments in the second half like he had to in today's game. 
But in fairness to him, he seems to be coaching very well. The changes he's making seem to be working really well. And it does have that sort of feeling like United are back. And it's very interesting in terms of them in a title race because I think for City and Arsenal, they know they have to play each other. But for United, it's almost like they're watching and just waiting, continuing to win games, Rashford scoring goals. They're turning Old Trafford into a fortress again. And who's to say that they can't be in the mix come the end of the season? Uh, Jan, do you say that? Yeah, I have said that for a long time. What's your so German very... expression? God. Der lachende Dritte. The <laughs> laughing third. And Nadem said it exactly like it is because they, the two, the top t- two teams are playing each other and they will be concentrating at the, each other. We do, everybody else. But Manchester United, they got now a combination of combination of that winning culture that somehow Ten Hag has found taken with him from Ajax or whatever and found it somewhere in, in at Old Trafford seems that that it's been lost for a while but still you can see how they want to play and when you have match winning displays that you had today as, as Craig was mentioning De Gea's two first saves and especially the one we showed the second one that was fantastic and and then Rashford as you were saying why should he play that ball square because he know he will score a goal he is uh, he is now at the best position any striker could be you feel every time you go on a football pitch you will score goals that feeling is the best feeling ever and Rashford will keep on doing that till the end of the season and maybe Manchester City maybe Arsenal will find themselves to congratulate Manchester United in winning the English Premier League you know, he's one of the best. This, this might sound strange. When he's, when he's playing the, the manner in which he is, not, not when he was the guy that had lost confidence, which he did uh, 12 months ago, give or take, he's one of the best at hitting the target. Now, people will say, well, that's what they're supposed to do. You, you go and look at a lot of wide players, front players, attacking mm. midfielders. They get into those positions. It's high, wide and handsome. It's scuffed. Technically... The reason he scores as many is, one, he gets his pace and his clever runs get him in there, but two, when he's in this mindset, his technical ability in terms of striking the ball is one of the best. You saw that there in, in terms of that finish. It was low, hard, and past the keeper before he even got the leg out. Yeah. Right? And he does that a lot. He does that. There was one, I think it was in midweek or last weekend, that he scuffed high and wide when he got through, but those are rare. Yeah. Those are rare for him. When he gets down those channels and he gets it on his right side, he generally hits the target. He generally makes the goalkeeper have to do something, have to make a good save, have to get the right position. And all those things, when you put them together, his runs, the ball's in behind from some of those United players, particularly Fernandez. But it also helps when you have a centre-half who makes two mistakes in the one play. And without Vass, he plays a sloppy ball out and then... He steps into Veghorst. Why would you step into Veghorst when you know Rashford sees it and he's straight in behind? And Fernandez sees it as well. So when you make mistakes against this team and they're playing as well as they are, and Marcus Rashford that is, they're going to punish you. Yeah, and do you know what my producer just whispered in my ear? He's better than Haaland. I'm not going down. We're not going down that route. We're not going to uh, explore that possibility. But I want to talk about the possibility of Savitzer getting sent off. Jan, did you think that was a red? Well, I did that referee course 200 years ago. uh, And we learned that. uh, I heard Craig was saying that the force behind it, that was not enough. Maybe so. But I think that of all he's showing 
there's nothing to do with how hard it is. That is for me a red. Unfortunately, that I feel that is a red card for me, and Savitzer should have been sent off. Nathan. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a red, and I only think that just because I think he's almost kicked him as opposed to stamped on him. I think if there was more force that continued to be applied after just the initial contact, then I would lean towards a red. But I think the fact he hasn't sent him off, I'm, I'm overall comfortable with that. But I do think it's a yellow. It's more of a flick than a stamp, but I can see what you mean, Jan, absolutely. And, and he put himself in a, in a position uh, with that kind of challenge. It, it, it is dangerous, but I think because it was more of a flick... And he wasn't coming in at any particular speed. Now, listen, Jan has a different opinion. Nadim thinks one thing. You go and ask somebody else, they'll think another. It, it is one of those. It just is not the worst challenge that I've seen. It, it was clumsy at best, but I think it was just on the right side of not getting the red card. Uh, of course, every time Manchester United win... Jan, you bring up an argument that you had with Craig, yeah? So just give us a, a brief synopsis about what that was about. <laughs> well, Craig is my favourite discussion partner, I have to say that, because I like his edge. Oh. But uh, I, I said that just... just I guess it started when they came back from the World Cup. There was a, a small game uh, uh, in, the, in the Cup against Burnley. Uh, there was a game where we expect Burnley to do well, would with company getting to play. And, and I, I, th- I think that was the time, at least for me, that I saw the shape that Ten Hag is trying to get there. You saw that the players understood what he was doing. And then at the same time, you get individual players turning their game on, like Rashford, like De Gea. And I must also say now, in the last couple of weeks, Sancho. Sancho looks like a new signing for them. And that's why I'm seeing that you see weaknesses of the top two team. They're still... They're still there to lose the title, but Manchester United could be in that position of, of winning the league, and I'm I'm 100 sure of that. And I'm, I'm guess also that Manchester United, I guess if you if we ask Ten Hag, he would say that's rubbish because the, the, he would say maybe we need one or two players, and he's right. But this season they could end up being the surprise champion. So the, the, the brief synopsis, which we didn't really get there from Jan, was the fact that you believed in United and Craig didn't. No, no, no. Was, no. was that it? Well, yeah, Absolutely. Well, I think yeah, that was, well, yeah. well, 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 sort of, sort of, and then I reminded Jan that you had them fifth. Well, yes, yeah, yeah. But this is interesting, Jan, because even though you believe in Manchester United, Craig believed in them more because you had them finishing fifth. Absolutely, and that is nothing, nothing to do with trying to be wise to know. This is <laughs> somehow Ten Hag has developed this team. I did, did I think that he will turn this around as quick as he did? That's why I tried to say that the first game after the World Cup was the moment I realized that they have the shape, they have the organisation. Ten Hag has got to his players and they understand what he wants to do. And, and the rest is, is winning culture. The rest is match-winning displays for so many players. But, but Craig, congratulations. You said it before the season. It's just like six, seven months ago. That's fine as well. I changed my mind. <laughs> actually, actually, I, actually, I probably did. I, actually, to be fair, I, I probably didn't. But, but no, I, look, I, I, I've, never, I've never... I've enjoyed watching... I, I mean, the more teams that are vying for any league, the better. Of course. We've discussed on this show the worrying thought of, from a neutral point of view, from a league, from a, from a competitive edge, Manchester City's potential domination, right? Now, Arsenal or United may or may not disrupt that this year, but I really don't know anybody who doesn't want to see the strongest teams that have got the capabilities of vying for a Premier League would want them to be strong so 
The important thing was they made the right decision with the manager in the summer. Yeah. It was a hugely difficult start. I mean, hugely. But it's been crystal clear as the season's gone on that this guy's reputation in CV and no-nonsense sort of running of the dressing room and the club has been there for all to see. The only thing I had after the Christmas period was they did play three of the teams that you would consider more cannon fodder yeah. at the time. It was Nottingham Forest at the time, uh, Bournemouth and, and, and one other. And they came through that, obviously, but then they had some bigger tests. But it's not a surprise that they're doing a lot better. I think it is a surprise that they're as close to being in the title race as they are. It is a surprise that Marcus Rashford is playing as well as he is. Because these, these are things that, at the start of the season, if you'd said Rashford was going to be in this goal-scoring run, yeah. it's been a phenomenon, an absolute phenomenon. And United would be pretty much still hanging in, in the title race come the end of February. There wouldn't have been too many takers. No, Not and, it, too many. and it's been, of course, very rare over the last few years that United have been on a better run than City, but that's exactly where we find ourselves after City, of course, dropping points against Nottingham Forest. We had this discussion yesterday. I just wanted to continue it a little bit today. Nadam, I want to start with you. Erling Haaland, was that a red card? Um, so I don't think it was a red card. As I was watching the game real time, it looked like something had happened. And for him to go down, I thought oh, it must be something quite severe. But then upon looking at the replay, I think he's gone down very, very easily. And it's a shame because for how big and strong he is, once he's on the other side of the defender there, I still fancy him to be able to take a shot and to finish and score. But I think for him, he thought that contact was there. And as a consequence, he wants the double nature of, say, the guy being sent off and a great opportunity to score. But yeah, for me, I'm not thinking that's a really obvious red card. I think contact does happen. But I think the way he's fallen down isn't due to that. I think it's more so the idea of we can maybe get an advantage from this. Do you agree? Do you know, when I was watching this game yesterday, the same as Nadam, at full speed, when Warrell made a mistake but by his miscontrol, and I thought, that's going to be a penalty because there's no way Haaland's going to go down. No way. And then when I saw the replays come in, I was like, they're going to go with the referee's decision here. And I was fine with that. I just, I'm not denying there was a hand on the shoulder or, or there was some contact, but you had allowed some, some contact. I, I did not think that was a free kick. I did not think it was going to be a penalty if it was inside. I think it might just have been out. So it was never going to be a red card. And I don't know... I think he's felt a tiny bit of contact, Ellen Haaland, and he's thrown himself to the ground. Right. That's, that's the way that I saw that. No red the consensus here. Jan, do you agree? Well, let's start with the fact. The fact is that he's, he's taken off balance, that you don't need a big... <laughs> push, push to get him down. We're good enough now, but uh, honestly, that's what you do when you're running. You don't need a big push. And secondly, why on earth should Erling Haaland, one of the best goal getters in the world, go down when you have the chance to score a goal? Why should he do that? Even if you see Manchester City, when they have five players around the penalty taker and they have a own, own commission on the pitch deciding who should take the penalties. So why on earth should he go down there? Why should, on earth should he dive? He's never dived before, why should he dive there? Because he's trying to win his side a, a, a penalty but kick. Because there's not but, enough but, contact from Joe Worrell. 
to take a to, Craig, to, to you, take any you were not taken down. You were not taken down. He was off balance. You, you're running in there. You no don't chance. need a big off balance to go down. There is no chance that he will go. Why should one of the best goalkeepers, sorry, goal getters in the world go down when you are 16 metres from the goal? Well, you're going to have to ask you, him you that question. You'll have to ask him that question because there's no way in the world that the contact from Joe Worrell was enough but to you bring have him asked, down. But you have asked him and you, you, he, he told you that it was a dive. No, no, so I said I you, to you need him. to ask him that question, why he would go down. There's no explanation as to why he would go down. There's never enough contact there. Never enough. There, there is no, there is no explanation to your argument either. So, well, there is the an explanation. Just... He's thrown my my explanation, Jan, is he's thrown himself down when he's felt exactly. the slightest contact. Exactly. Your explanation. Why should a goal get to go down 16 meters? He will, wow. he will fancy himself. It's a bigger chance that he will score than he has to go through that commission trying to see who will be the penalty taker at Forest uh, 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 yesterday. But you're not thinking about that at the time. Are you? You're feeling the you're not thinking about that. You're feeling the contact and you're going down. I, I was convinced as soon as we saw the replays. I was convinced that they were not going to overturn the on-field decision. Mm. Absolutely yeah. convinced of it. Uh, Jan, we talked a lot about Haaland of late and maybe not getting the service that he needs, that he wants to continue this fantastic goal run, of course, which we saw him start the season with. Yet yesterday we saw, of course, a couple of big chances for him that he didn't convert. Absolutely, but it's just a two, two, three games ago since he scored a hat-trick, so that is a crisis, of course. But if you saw the game yesterday, Erling uh, uh, Haaland with th this, this, this goal he will do normally normally ever uh, always sorry and uh, those kind of games a goal getter will have uh, and he could have had two or three yesterday as well uh, Foden could have played him in, on an open goal if, if that was like I, I don't like this discussion if, if he makes them better if, if if they have to find him all the time I mean that is a theoretical discussion in my opinion they will they find each other he scored over 30 goals City are up there so he will score a lot of goals will he break the records probably will and then we'll uh, we'll see City have only got themselves to blame they were in so much control in this game and Bernardo Silva scored a wonderful goal. But yeah, yeah, he missed the, the two chances that failed him at the one time there. But, but Jan's right. I mean, Phil Foden made a terrible decision when he was going through. He, he, took, he took a touch and another touch and another touch. And then he tried to play it to Haaland, but that time it was too late. Now, yeah. Foden's a type of player, like a lot of these City players are, they normally see these things early. Yeah. But it was touch, and it was touch, and it was touch, and then, to be fair, Navas made a couple of good saves. You know, the one from the corner from Laporte, I think it was, that was from yeah. that was from close range. They should have scored, but he headed it straight at Navas. So, really, it was one of those games where you were waiting for us, getting one opportunity or two opportunities, and, and that's what they got. And City really, they, yeah, yeah, they'll complain about that penalty decision not going the way. But really, there was other moments in the game that they should have been more clinical yeah. in the final third. Yeah, and Nadem, it's, you could say, well, look at all the chances they had just one of those days in front of goal. But as we discussed yesterday, they've had quite a few of those sort of days this season. Um, perhaps. I can't necessarily think of those off the top of my head because I think I've seen some of those games where maybe they've not played as well as we expect them to. But as Craig was saying, and as Jan said, according to this game yesterday, like they did control the match itself. Forrest were yeah. kind of hanging in there. When you look at some of the chances that they did miss, they probably scored those chances maybe nine out of ten times. But on this day, they didn't. 
and then a lapse at the back leads to Forrest scoring that goal. And it wasn't as if Forrest were really expansive at any point. They basically clung on in the first half. And then the second half, as I say, there was a folding chance where he could have played it. Those two for Haaland. There was Laporte from five yards out ahead of. There were a couple more chances as well. So it wasn't, from a grand, in the grand scheme of things, performance-wise, it was looked more like Man City. But the fact that he didn't convert their chances is ultimately what's cost them. And I think going forward, there'll be a huge sense of disappointment because it feels like they did drop two points. But if they would have played badly, if they would have been hanging on for a draw away at Forest and given up a ton of chances, I think it'd feel like more of a crisis. But I think for the way that they created the opportunities, I think they'll believe they can rectify that in the next game and take those. And, you know, before you know it, they'll be back in with a bigger shout in this title race because who knows, maybe Arsenal will drop points again. He's got this, he's, it's almost like he's had this eureka moment, Guardiola, because we had this <laughs> Bernardo Silva, had this Bernardo Silva <laughs> popping up in the left-back position again, particularly in the second half. And actually, if you look at the forest, and maybe that was because they knew they were going to dominate this game as much as they did in terms of possession. But if you look at the forest goal, it was all part of, of the, the cog in the wheel. Yeah. Silva was back in the left-back position at this point. He, he, he went out to a ball he didn't have to go to. They played it around him. Then Rodri has to step back in. Everybody has to shuffle across because he's pushed in. And, and you know, Forrest find a bit of space. And because they've shuffled across, Chris Wood is at the back post. So these things, yeah, they're very clever at times. And you think, oh, that's, that's a strange idea. And we've saw it recently a couple of times. Uh, with Bernardo Silva but when it comes down just to the plain old defending part of it mm. then when it's, it's like the domino effect when he goes somebody else goes everybody comes across that leaves you exposed at the other side and that was part of the reason not all of it that they lost that goal when Brennan Johnson was able to run in and they had a two on one and of course a significant goal in the title race with Arsenal coming from behind to beat Aston Villa it puts Arteta's side back to the top of the table two points clear now of the defending champions uh, Craig obviously you weren't on yesterday but I know you were really impressed with Arsenal this was oh somebody's gone <laughs> this was a real gutsy performance never, never never mind the football it, it was a, a poor start and at 2-1, we're thinking, is this, is this going to continue at halftime? Is this going to continue, this slump? And how can it go from being such a positive start to the season or half of a season to, to falling apart? But the response in the second half from Arsenal, I thought was arguably the best we've seen from them this season. Just because they were up against it, just mm. because everybody now, was now thinking they've gone. But the football that they played in that second half, the, the chances that he created, even when Odegaard missed that, pretty much a sitter like he did, even though Saka was getting the ankles wrapped and the Achilles with studs down it, they just kept plugging away and plugging away. I thought Arsenal were absolutely superb. Yes, Ramsdale had to make some great saves. Yep. You know, when Leon Bailey came on and, and they made changes. And, and yes, the, the fourth goal came from the corner kick when Martinez goes up. I, I thought that was one of the best turnarounds that we've seen this season from any club, particularly in the circumstances. Particularly, I mean, how would they have came back from that? Yeah. Another defeat. I mean, that would have been soul-destroying. That dressing room must have been buzzing after that game. How impressed were you with that second-half performance, Nadam? Yeah, it, was, uh, it certainly was something. I think some people very... 
keen to write off Arsenal. They're looking at some of the results, thinking, oh, this is them, this is their collapse, the inevitable collapse of Arsenal. But the way that they were able to come back against a side that's in good form, that a side that took the lead, and, you know, playing away from home in the second half of the season is very, very tough because everybody's playing for something. And with the 20, 30, 40,000 fans that be rooting against you, it's a tough situation to be in. But they dug in and they broke a lot of Man City hearts on that on that game because so many were tuning in thinking they've, they're going to do it, they're going to drop points, going to drop points. But that reaction is amazing. Given how poor they've been in the last couple of weeks or so results-wise, it was a must-win for them because before you know it, City would have been entering that next game thinking, well, here's our chance to even level things up on a sort of game-to-game basis. So fair play to them. But then I'm not really surprised. I still quite like Arsenal. You called me diplomatic the last time I was on talking about them. Mm. But at the end of the day, like the, the top of the league for a reason, it didn't happen by accident. They have got something about them and it wouldn't be surprised if they you know, won the next few games from this point because for them, this is what they've been doing throughout the whole season. Who's winning the league, Jan? Oh yeah, as it stands now, it will be Arsenal, wouldn't it? And I, I'm, I'm with the, I'm the, with the boys. I, first of all, fantastic. There are three teams who could win it. I mean, if you follow some leagues, that's not always the case, and not always been the case in England either. But I'm very with the boys. I think that that win yesterday for Arsenal that was maybe the most important win they've had all season because I, I was a goodison and I saw what Sean Dyche Everton did to them and. The problem is not that other teams see what Everton is doing to them. The problem is the Arsenal players see what people are doing to them. And in the second half yesterday, they stood up for themselves. That was a solid, sorry performance. And I think that when we will write this season's history, I think this could be one of the key games yeah. going to Aston Villa and win that in, in, the, in the dying minutes. Yeah, that Jorginho goal, you feel. He needed that. Yeah. He needed yeah. it because he's come in, Chelsea player, ex-Chelsea player. Pate's been a brilliant player for him, very much a fan's favourite. And he, he comes in and, oh, he's too he's slowing the game down. He's not got the defensive qualities. That'll do his confidence the world of good. I, I, obviously, Zinchenko scored the great goal. I mean, the marking from a set piece from a corner from Aston Villa is just horrendous. So Arsenal took full advantage of it. If you noticed Arsenal... They, they take a lot of short corners. Yes. Odegaard goes across and they, they always take a short corner. They're always looking to do something different. They don't always just whip it in. And if you're not alive to that, they're, they're going to punish you. So I thought they were, and I thought going down that right side in particular in the second half, uh, they were excellent. Ben White got forward for them uh, a lot. And then Tommy Asso come on. Uh, just, I, I mean, honestly, plucking defeat. Victory from the jaws of defeat, basically. Yeah. So, yeah, brilliant performance from them. Uh, still got Pate to come back. Martinelli was obviously, obviously left out the side. I think Martinelli will be back in the side. Trossard's a tidy player. Right. But he doesn't give them what Martinelli can give them. Uh, and I do think, honestly, I think Saka... I, I, I think Saka, or any player, getting the kind of punishment he's getting should get a bit more protection. Right. I really do. And we saw it in the Man City game, I think it was Bernardo Silva, but we saw it again in the Arsenal game and it happens a lot. It happened at the World Cup actually when he was playing for England and he gets roughed up a lot, uh, Saka. He handles it, he picks himself up, he's a strong boy. I actually think a lot of players across the league are getting away with a lot particularly on that player. He's a marked man, that for, that's for sure. Well, I think it's safe to say that Saka's Arsenal Manchester City and Manchester United will finish in the top four. But who will join them? As it stands, it is Spurs that are sitting in fourth after a 2-0 victory against West Ham. The bookies, however, still have Newcastle and Liverpool 
favourites ahead of Spurs to take that fourth place. Liverpool, of course, with that win uh, yesterday against Newcastle, it puts them just now seven points off a top four place. They've got two games in hand on Tottenham. It's weird. Tottenham are weird, aren't they? Because we've yeah. been quite critical of them. They haven't played very good football, only turn up in one half. Yeah, they're in a situation where they're sitting top four and they get another win today. Well, th th this was a great ball from Hoiberg here, uh, but it was a, you know what, Nathan must, don't know what he thinks of it as a centre half, but it was a gaping hole down that uh, West Ham back line. And then Agbonna's not strong enough here, and Kane to Son, that's happened a few times, just not as much this season. But yeah, you're right. It, it, it's, it looks like Newcastle. It looks like the tank is half empty and heading yeah. uh, heading towards the empty. Not that it's going to be bad for them, but they've lost a bit of steam. They've got the cup final coming up. And for Tottenham, I don't wish ill on anybody, but Conte's recuperating at home again in Italy. And every time he's been away from it recently, they've won. <laughs> right. And when he pitches up, they, they lose and they've been bad. So maybe even when he's feeling better, and we hope he is, he might just need to sit in the sofa at home a little bit more right. and let his assistant right. do the job for him. I'm sure he'll do that. I'm sure that'll be no problem. Uh, <laughs> Nadam, have, have we not given Spurs enough love? Uh, no, I think they get the love when they deserve it. You know, I think when they do something good, like that was a great ball by Hoibjerg, obviously to play it to Davies, who was then going to play the ball through to Emerson Rail, because that's the way we all drew up in terms of how they're <laughs> going to score goals. So they do get the, I think they do get, they do get love when they do deserve it. But I think in this game today, they've obviously ended up winning 2-0, but that first half was, it was terrible. Yeah. You know, it didn't seem like they were really going to be breaking them down. So we can't necessarily get too excited. And West Ham, for as much as they are a good football club, they're in the bottom three right now. So they're not, they're hardly inspired themselves, but in fairness to them, they've snuck into the top four now, just at a point where Newcastle seems to be heading in the wrong direction. But I think there's still, there's still that energy behind it from Liverpool as well. They're the hardest team to just like let go of and just accept they're having a failing season because of the quality of players that they do have to in, in there now and to come back in. But as long as Spurs can keep just winning these games, just finding a way to get results in fair play. But I'm very interested to see how they do once they're, um, once they're back in Europe again and playing those Thursday Sundays with a squad that's a bit thinner now, especially with people like Benton Core being out, Sessegnon being out for a few weeks. But they're poised right now. They're looking up and for as much as, say, the top three looks a million miles away for them, all they need to do at the moment is finish ahead of Newcastle and it feels at this moment in time that they do have the chance to do that. How dare you, Nadam? They're in the Champions League Thursdays. They just played Tuesday. Oh, sorry, my bad. Sorry, oh, my bad. Excuse me. Disrespect. It's <laughs> what I'm used to. I apologise. Sorry, <laughs> to guys. Uh, yeah, it is funny because it's Spurs and because of the way they play, you don't quite get as excited when they're playing them than maybe a Liverpool, Newcastle, of course, City, Arsenal and United as well. But they're getting it done. They do, and I think they they fall falling in between some different chairs. On the other hand, everybody loves new kids on the block. Being Newcastle, wow, we have another team who can compete up there, and with the with the owners and the resources, they could be the next big thing. Uh, on the other hand, then you have Chelsea and Liverpool's failure. So Tottenham somewhere being there behind. So I don't think it, it, it's it's more that. We are so aware of the other stories of the league that Tottenham are doing their stuff and they have so many 
good players and Craig was 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 mentioning Heiberg there what what a player he is for Tottenham you have Son Kane you have people who can score goals so so I, I don't think it's a lack of love I think it's more like a lack of attention if I may say in a romantic way oh no that's very romantic but we're not allowed to give love to anybody in a show it's just well you, <laughs> you just gave a lot of love to Arsenal <laughs> did yes you're really lovely to them and Manchester United right do it again let's, let's, have, a do, let's have a do over but the thing is with Spurs, right, here's the things with some of the other teams, and, and, and pretty much Newcastle weren't in this category until lately, but City, Arsenal, and now United, you kind of know what you're getting. Right. And Newcastle, you did, to an extent. The rest of them, you just don't. You just don't. I mean, you've got Liverpool, you have no idea. It's so hot and cold, more mm -hmm. cold. Tottenham, it's supposed to be about the defensive stability of the Conte side. But they go to Leicester a week ago, and OK, Leicester have been playing yeah. better. Yeah. But they were all, we went through the goals. They were all over the parish. I mean, it was so disorganised. So it's really difficult to tell from week to week which sides are going to turn up in terms of the chasing pack. But at the moment, Tottenham are in a good position because... You know, the squad is decent. They have got some players out, as Nathan mentioned, but but they've got one or two to come back and and they might just squeeze in. But, my God, they're, they're, they're all very inconsistent. Uh, Tottenham, then, <laughs> battling for a place in the top four. West Ham, meanwhile, sit in the relegation zone after we saw the results that happened this weekend. They're one point away from Bournemouth. It's interesting, Nathan, every time we talk about the who's going down, no one mentions West Ham because everyone says, oh, they just get enough points. At the moment, they're not. No, not at all. I think the run of form they've been on has been, has been terrible, but they've been mostly down there throughout the season. And I think you can see from the game today that, you know, they're okay but then they're not really scoring the goals. They're not finding ways to create tons of chances and be able to take those wins. And there's this belief that they'll just get themselves out of it. But, you know, that's 23 games in. There's still some time left, but they're trending in the wrong direction to be down there. Because when we think about teams who are struggling in the Premier League, we'll talk about Southampton. We'll talk about Bournemouth and the like. But West Ham's form at the minute is as bad, if not worse, than some of those sides. So I think they're in a really, really tough spot because you look at the players that are out there, there's not that much room for change, but then something needs to happen. They need to find that spark. Again, today wasn't the best of perform wasn't the best of games, but then it still ended up losing. And mm. I think they'll be disappointed thinking they could have gotten more. But is this what their season's like? They think they play well, but they don't score enough goals, perhaps. Well, they need to address that if they're gonna have a chance of staying up in the league this season. You stand on West Ham. Can't believe this is the more or less the same side that went toe to toe in the semi final of the Europa League with Eintracht Frankfurt. Mm. It just, just it's it's an amazing uh, downfall, almost like Liverpool in a sense, who were going for the quadruple last year. Uh, there's no doubt, no doubt. There's a lot of people calling for David Moyes' head. I, I think that would be the wrong move at this moment in time. I mean, if they want to do it in the summer, then that's up to them. But I, I think. He's been there, seen it and done it. And I, I think ultimately, whilst they're in a relegation fight, I think they've got good enough players that they will stay up. But it's, it's just not very pleasing on the eye either. Sure. Now, when they were being successful, part of their success was they would get good width, they would, they, they would get it wide, crosses in the box, the physical presence, and uh, Suchek coming in from the middle of the park, backed up by Declan Rice on, on the edge. He would get his quota of goals, but they just don't look like getting enough goals at the moment. Yep. I mean, Scamacci's in there, uh, Michael Antonio played today, 
They have had one or two injuries in that position, but they just don't look like creating a lot of chances. And when you're not doing that and you're also not as solid at the other end, Clearly, that's a huge problem. And they got away with another handball, didn't they? Uh, we'll be talking about that tomorrow. Not Mark. as bad as the one from <laughs> we'll last week. We'll be talking about that with Mark Klatterberg uh, tomorrow. Just a reminder, extra time, uh, as always, available over on our YouTube channel. Be sure to check it out. This time next week, we'll be reflecting on the Carabao Cup final. Newcastle taking on Manchester United at Wembley. Our coverage starts 11.30 Eastern on ESPN+. And then, of course, we're at the fifth round stage of the FA Cup. Those matches on February the 28th and... Oh, is it the 29th? We've got a leap year. Is it a leap year? No, it's not. It's March, isn't it? Yeah, I don't think it was a leap year. Uh, there are we are. Are you talking to yourself? Well, yes, I am pretty much. <laughs> Uh, Manchester United will take on West Ham on March the 1st. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's never dull concerning PSG at the moment. That was epitomised once again with their 4-3 victory over Lille. So many talking points within this game. We saw Luis Campos, the sporting director, come down from the stands and go on the touchline to have a go at the officials after Lille were given a dodgy penalty. Neymar was stretched off after turning his ankle. He's a doubt now for Bayern, but when it comes to result, it was all about a late rally. They were 3-2 down going into the 87th minute. Kylian Mbappe scored and then a brilliant finish from Lionel Messi. What a free kick that was. Would give PSG the win, which, when you take a look at the table, puts them five points clear ahead of Marseille. Now, we heard from Mbappe for the first time after those quotes are attributed to him regarding players need to get some rest and eat well and sleep well after the Bayern game. People suggesting that was head towards Neymar. Neymar, of course, then pictured in McDonald's after playing poker. He said, I saw people talking about Ney, about what happened. It wasn't a dig against Neymar. In a situation, a dig is the last thing we need. It really was a piece of advice for everyone. Because like I said, when we have everyone available, as was the case at the start of the match, the opposition can be worried. I hope Ney comes back quickly because he's a vital player for us. A soap opera. It, it, it all is. It's, it's an unnecessary, toxic circus. Yeah. And... It's not going to change until the personnel changes. It's as simple as that. And, and I'm afraid Paris and PSG are not big enough for the two of them. Uh, there's two, uh, you know, and I'm not even, I'm not even considering Messi. Yeah. Messi just does his thing. Messi gets on with it, you know, fit or unfit or available or about, does his bit. I'm talking about this, this continuing bickering, and you know, shots. Parting shots and you know making statements that are ambiguous. Yes. But you kind of know like what. Like veiled. Yeah. Veiled. Like you know, 
threats and accusations, and it's just it's 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 not helping the team. But this scenario is is always going to be here this year when Mbappe turned down that Real Madrid move. Yeah. And the two of them in the dressing room just clearly it's it's just toxic, and that's it's not helping. Galtier be able to do his job and it's been the same for almost every manager now some have handled it better than others but Galtier is finding out just how difficult it is uh, and yeah what about Luis Campos going down to sit on the bench well it reminds me back in 1982 remember when that shike of Kuwait went down on the pitch and stopped that game and got a goal cancelled this is like 100 years ago so I'm not expecting everybody to, to see that but I mean that is the ultimate miserable situation for a coach yeah. when the actually head of sport comes down that is just humiliating and it's interesting to follow Paris because it can learn us everything about individuals making a team team makes individuals develop and it's a paradox in the times when Chelsea are struggling that the only manager who managed to do that was Thomas Tuchel, who took to, 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 the, to the Champions League final, didn't he? And I think that he had something going on. He found a way of leadership and, and Galtier now finds out it's not enough to be a coach there. You have to be a leader with a big L. You, you have to be a leader that the players do respect and it seems they don't respect anything. I guess sometimes they respect themselves. I mean, that's all. I think I think part of the Campos thing as well was it was the official. Yeah, yes. official. Yeah. I mean, from the angles I saw there, the penalty against Verratti was ludicrous. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. ludicrous. Yeah. And I think that was part of it as well as the performance. But but to go back to the to the Mbappe stuff, you know, when you're making, as you say, kind of thinly veiled accusations and statements that are ambiguous, then. You've not only got Neymar presuming it's about him, but maybe the other players as well. And if I'm in a dressing room, I say, well, listen, who are you talking about? Right. Are you, are you, if I'm Sergio Ramos or any of these, Marco Verratti or any of these senior players, are you talking about me? Yeah. Right, because I want to know now, if you're talking about him, that's fine. Have it out with him. But are you talking about a generalisation of the dressing room? And if so, let's have it out in the dressing room. Let's not go to the press and talk about people, you know, not eating properly, not sleeping properly and not training properly and then say it's not about him, it's about everybody. There's a dressing room that you need to try and keep together and it's making... There's nothing good coming out and basically throwing people under the bus to the press. Sure. Do it in the dressing room. Yeah. Have it out to his face. But this is just a continuation of what we've seen for, I don't know, 18 months, 24 months with these players. Uh, it's almost one-upmanship. There's no doubt Mbappe's the better player mm. at this point of his career. If you're picking one to play and one that doesn't play, it, it's a non-contest. But having these continuing, continuing arg- arguments and statements and comments to press about others in your dressing room, it's just not helping. Um, I'm sure they'll be discussing that uh, at more length on the next edition of the Gavin Jules podcast. Uh, be sure to check out the latest edition, which drops on Monday. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates 
fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash FC. Just go to Indeed.com slash FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on the podcast. Indeed.com slash FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Borussia Dortmund made eight wins in a row in all competition as they beat Hertha Berlin by four goals to one. Adiemi once again key to a great start for the hosts. However, after scoring then sent off Marlon, he would go off with a hamstring injury. Big blow for them, of course. Uh, Royce and Brandt then add into the score late on to guarantee Borussia Dortmund the victory. It's a victory that puts them level on points now with Bayern Munich and Union Berlin, who could only manage a nil-nil draw. Jan Ogafjortov, hello. Hello, wie geht's? <laughs> How are you? Hey, what? Hmm? <laughs> have hey, we got a title race? Get... Yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> How many times have we said that? But but this year, I mean, when you see Dortmund, let's take Dortmund. Union Berlin Schalke today was one of the worst game game you've ever seen. But Dortmund today, fantastic. They said after they, they lost Erling Haaland, they said we have to share the goals among us. That didn't help in the first part of the season, but now it certainly does. Remember, they had a problem with Sebastian Haller with his terrible uh, illness. He's back now. Got got himself on the score sheet a couple of weeks ago. Touchy, touchy moment in front of the Gelbavante yellow wall. And would you have Adiemi? Brandt looked like a new player. Even Marlon, and I mm. say even Marlon scoring today. Royce is coming back slowly, and they can't they can't stop winning in 2023. Borussia Dortmund. You you would think that they would be the main challenger. I've said the same now for 10 years, but I keep on saying that. Dortmund could go all the way, but it, it certainly looked like the confidence they've got. And if you've got a bit of insecurity at Bayern, and I guess we're going to talk a bit more about that, then Dortmund could have a chance. And I have to put an extra word in for, for Jude Bellingham, because he, I mean, the way he's playing, the way he's leading this, this troop in the age of, of 19 is amazing. We are talking about how good he will turn into, how, 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 what a great player he will turn into in the future. He is a great, great, great player now. It's not just that, Jan. He looks like a, he looks like a leader on the field as well. He, I mean, he's yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's sometimes it's a little bit over the top in terms of you know he complains to the referees and blah blah blah. He's said one or two things uh, off the field about about officials that have been near the mark. But he's not just a young player playing well. He's taking that responsibility as well of being it, arguably the best is. player. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 also kudos to um, to Terzic who who gives him that role because you know, Greg, if if you are, you are that age, you have to be giving that role. You you have a team with with Brandt, with Royce, with Hummers, with Chan. Then you have to give, so to say, the mandate from the for the manager to be that kind of leader. And he is, he seems like a born leader. I mean, he's been looking like this since he was fifteen, and and he's in there and and. And I must also say, great respect to him with all the speculation in and around his situation. One day Real Madrid, one day Liverpool. Mm. But he never says a word. All the reports that his family is doing this and doing that, I mean, we don't believe them. Because there is a player who is so identified with Borussia Dortmund. It's just amazing to, to look. 
Uh, Bayern, of course, taking on Union Berlin. Ubermeccano will not be available for that clash after getting sent off uh, early on in the game yesterday against Borussia Mönchengladbach. This is what Tobias Wells, the referee, had to say. A player tried to keep running, but there was contact on the shoulder from the Bayern player, which made him lose his balance. Ubermeccano was the last man, therefore red card, of course. I discussed it with the video assistant. He also checked it for a long time. The VAR could not have given me any other pictures than the ones I saw live on the pitch. That's why we agreed there was no need to review it. Of course, it was a very close call. There are arguments for both sides. The contact on the shoulder was the decisive argument for me. Nagelsmann, of course, furious after the game. Uh, Jan, let's start with you. Did they get it right? I think they got it right because I think it's the same case with, with Erling Haaland. I think that he, he gets also off balance. It doesn't have to be a big push or a big move, uh, a big touch to get him off balance. And then, then the referees feel that should be double, triple punished in, in those kind of situations. I don't like that. But if he followed the rules, if he checked out with VAR, uh, I will be uh, on, the, on the side of, of the referee saying that was the right decision. Uh, Nadem back with us. Whose side are you on, Nadem? Uh, I am with Upamecano. I don't think that's a red card. I think contact's <laughs> going to happen. I say, I know, I know, Jan, I know. And for me, like, yes, he has touched him, but... This is football. If, you, if they were running through side by side, there would be contact as well. So I'm not so convinced by this being the most obvious red card in the world. And I think the referee saying he, the angle that he saw was all he needed to see. I can't see him in the picture. So what did he see? But then again, I don't know. What do I know? This is the, these are the referees. They've always refereed the game, and they believe that is something that's egregious and deserves to get yourself sent off. But for me personally, I'm, I'm not too convinced to be honest. No. I once again, same as the uh, Erling Haaland. Uh, in, fact, in fact, I think there was less in this one than there was in the Haaland inc right. incident. And I I'm not denying there was a tiny bit of contact, but I think the attacking player there was almost losing his balance, expecting to be some contact. And that was partly to blame from, from going down. More than the fact that Apomicano touched him in such a way that he, he was losing his balance. I, I think he was anticipating contact and that affected his balance as well. And that, that for me, was never uh, an infringement and, and not a red card. Do you admire the confidence from the referee? I thought you were going to say the confidence from Jan. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Do you admire the confidence from the referee or his stubborn ways for saying, no, nope, I saw it, you can't show me anything that's going to change my mind? Was that what he was insinuating? Well, that's what he said. He said VAR couldn't give him any other different angles that would change his mind, basically. Okay. Well, I, I think he's clearly just backing... Backing he's, himself. He's, he's clearly saying, I haven't made a mistake. Yeah. I, I, I'm correct and you don't know what you're talking about. So <laughs> nope. that's, 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 his, that's his prerogative to, to do so. But uh, whether that would have been changed if he'd have gone over and looked at it or, or another referee would have given a different decision, I, I, I don't know. But from my perspective... I, I just didn't, when I saw this, I just did not think it was a free kick. How angry are Bayern? Yeah, and on a scale of one to ten. Ooh, eleven. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, Nagelsmann not not only lost the game, he lost it quite literally after the game. So this is Nagelsmann storming into the mix zone of all places. I mean, you guess at a big stadium, there must be another play on his way to the referees. 
dressing room, he's shouting all kinds of things in German. Then he goes in there, and to be fair to the referee after the game, or after this meeting, uh, he, uh, <laughs> he, say, he said there were two men just having uh, agreed to disagreement or something like that. He said that. But then again... Nagelsmann came out of that. He went into the mix zone again. For, for those who know what a mix zone is, where all journalists are, stand, all journalists are standing. And had a shout again. Well, wow. I mean, something like, what, what, what do we do with pack like this? I mean, oh. I mean, uh, I mean. and then Salahamidzic lost it. Khan lost it. And yeah, so there was, a, there was an enormous outcry. Yes. So back to your question. Did they like it? No, they didn't like it. Uh, they're, of course, be looking to bounce back at the weekend. As I mentioned, they're an against Union Berlin. That came live on ESPN Plus, 11.30 Eastern on the Sunday. Meanwhile, on Saturday, Hoffenheim play host to Borussia Dortmund. Did you know less than 10% of Americans own an e-bike? Here's why that should change. Studies show e-bike owners actually end up exercising more, plus getting outside more. If you're looking for a balanced lifestyle and everyday adventures, you need to check out Electric e-bikes. They are the number one selling e-bike brand in America. Their bikes are typically foldable, pre-assembled and have serious range up to 150 miles on some models. Check them out today at electricebikes.com and add some more adventure to your week. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-Bikes.com. Barcelona continue their fine run domestically as they beat Cadiz by two goals to nil. Both goals coming just on the stroke of half-time. Sergio Roberto and then Robert Lewandowski. Barcelona hanging on a little bit though as the game went on. But in the end they get the three points which re-establishes that eight-point lead ahead of Real Madrid at the top of La Liga table. For more on this uh, we're joined by Luis Garcia. Luis is a man who knows Xavi well. He'll be furious won't he despite that win with what happened to Barca's defence in that second half. Yeah, once again, uh, the team it struggles so much. Uh, they cannot control most of the games. I mean, we've seen at Barcelona that uh, in the first 45-50 minutes, they control, they dominate, they, they create chances, they score those two goals just before the halftime. But once again, they disconnect themselves from, from the game and they allow the, the, the opponent to believe that they can get something from uh, the Camp No, and, and today they were lucky because Cadiz, I think, because uh, they were too rushed uh, sometimes, the last third, uh, they didn't have the, the last pass, or maybe they couldn't even uh, connect a, a couple of uh, chances they had to score uh, at least one goal to, to make them uh, believe that they can get something until the last minute. But once again, Xavi, I'm, I'm sure that he's not going to be happy because the only thing that they have to do is just keep the ball. They mm. did it for the first, first uh, five, ten minutes in the second half. But they didn't do it once again, and there's something that is kind of uh, regular. They control the game, they score the goals, but then they struggle just too much. Luckily, they, they didn't have any injury, they could rest some of the players, and now they can focus on the Europa League next week. If you wondered why Manchester United caused so many problems for Barcelona, you saw it again in this game tonight. Uh, 14 efforts from Cadiz, most of them in the second half. Yep. Offside goal in the first half, just... Uh, too many spaces, Ter Stegen struggling in crosses. Not only the goal that was chopped off, which was, I'm telling you, it was debatable, but another one he came out, completely missed it, like Superman, and it was headed over. So, so yeah, some good football at times, but clear to see that they're giving a lot of chances up. And when you play better teams with the likes of Rashford and Bruno Fernandes, like Man United have, and the physical presence of Veghorst, 
that the lads mentioned in commentary, I think, you know, we'll see a lot of crosses into the box at Old yeah. Trafford. We'll see a lot of balls in behind as Barcelona maybe try and push, try and play their possession game. And United, like they did in the Camp Nou, will look for Rashford to spin in behind. Bruno Fernandes will look to just hit it over the top first time. So, three points, keeps the pressure on Real Madrid. Yeah. But the last 20 minutes, half an hour of this game, not a lot to be happy about from Xavi's point of view. Luis, what did you make of the disallowed goal? Well, again, um, it's, it's a, a, a way of interpretation. The referee, even though they wasn't called from the VAR, I think they, uh, they did the call straight away. It doesn't allow to, uh, the second to go clean on the ball. It's true that maybe the arms are not uh, very open or he doesn't, but he's got the intention of going. But you can see that, that there is no way that he's going to arrive to the ball. He's try, just trying to make contact with the keeper and the keeper doesn't have the chance of getting the ball without no, someone touching, uh, uh, touching him. So I think it's a, it's a good call, even though that I understand if someone say no, but he was trying to get the ball. I think there, there's no way that he could arrive to that ball. But here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. There's a little bit of jumping into Ter Stegen, a little bit. Right. But here's, here's what I never understand. Is the goalkeeper jumps into the uh, attacking player as much as he jumps into him? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They're both going in the opposite direction to each other. And at what point do you say the keeper's allowed a free hit at grabbing the ball? That, that, there has to be an element of contact. Sure. And that, that's where I have a problem with this. Now, if, if the arm is across Ter Stegen's face and stopping him bringing his arms up to catch the ball, that then that, that's fine, he's blocking him from doing his job. But I think for me there's an element of both going together there. So I never understand why it's okay for the goalkeeper to jump into the defender or the attacking Cadiz player, but not allowed for him to do the same. It's one. It's a classic case with the goalkeepers of one rule for one right. and another rule for others. Mark Clattenburg is joining us tomorrow. Is so we'll, Yeah, so we'll have a chat with him. A lot to talk uh, to him about. Luis, overall, we're talking about Thursday, of course. Someone like Ferran Torres, has he done enough to get a place in the starting eleven with his performance today? I'm, I'm not sure about it. I think it's important for uh, the, the player to get about the confidence, a, a good performance, good delivery for, for Xavi to know that uh, he can count on him because uh, definitely the, the last few games when he was uh, involved, he didn't have the luck or he, he wasn't confident enough to, to, to deliver. But definitely he's a player to, to, to count in the future. I'm not sure if he's going to be ready, Xavi, to, to pick him in the 11 starter for Thursday game. Uh, Luis, as always, thank you very much. Valiga action continues on Monday. Big game at the bottom of the table. 18 versus 19th as Retafe take on Valencia. That game, of course, live on ESPN+. And what a few weeks of Clásicos we have for you on Plus. March 2nd, Madrid against Barcelona in the first leg of the Copa del Rey. The two teams then meet on March 19th at 4pm Eastern in La Liga. And two weeks later, on April the 5th, it's the second leg of that Copa del Rey tie at the Camp Nou. Tired of 
ads interrupting your favorite sports podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music, included with your Prime membership. Amazon Music offers the most ad-free top podcasts. Enjoy shows like First Take, Part of the Interruption, and The Low Post, available ad-free and uninterrupted. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or go to Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods. That's Amazon.com slash ESPN Pods to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, after the game, Gemma Coyle with Eric Garcia. Yes, with uh, Eric Garcia after this uh, win, you haven't been able to, to enjoy minutes in the last four games. You yeah. played today as a start, another clean sheet. How, how do you feel after this win? Well, uh, really good for getting the minutes, of course, uh, but especially for the win, for the clean sheet. I think it's really important for us. Uh, we all know if we defend well, with the quality we have up front, we're going to score for sure. So that's what the manager always says. And today, no, uh, knowing Cadiz these last couple of years, it's been tough for us playing here at home. Uh, I remember last year how frustrating the game was. At the end, we lost. So it was a really important for, uh, game because at the end of the season, when you see those type of games, you need to see the three points there. And um, not only Cadiz, but when uh, lately when you play against uh, teams that are very defensive, like uh, Espanyol, Getafe here, y- you struggle? Do you think that you managed to overturn that situation today? Well, I think the key has been uh, once we scored the second goal, uh, the first goal, I mean, uh, going really quick for the second one. I think this five, five minutes, uh, the other teams uh, do struggle a little bit. And I think we took the chance today because at the end in the second half, uh, we controlled the game, but without having, you know, very clear chances. Mm. You, you're coming back to one of your uh, cities, uh, Manchester, on Thursday. Uh, how is the mindset? Because there are some injuries important in key players. How is the mindset of the team to be able to, to get that win? Well, we are confident. Um, we all know they are a good team. Uh, I think they've started this this new year fantastically. But I think uh, with the quality we have, uh, the good players, the way we play, I think we could we could we could have a, a big chance of winning. Yeah. So then for Barcelona, next up, of course, it's the second leg of that tie against Manchester United at Old Trafford. A United favourites to advance, of course, two-two in the first leg. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. What a treat. Some bonus material for you now. Ahead of Barcelona's clash against Cadiz, we looked ahead to Liverpool against Real Madrid in the Champions League. But first, we talked about that refereeing scandal surrounding Barcelona. Meanwhile, off the pitch, quite the scandal, of course, surrounding Barcelona in breaking news this week. The front page of Ass saying refereeing Barca Gate. 
marker saying Barca paid 1.4 million euros to the vice president of the referees. Let me try and break this down as simple as possible. So from 2016 to 2018, Barca paid a company called Dazzle 95 1.4 million euros. Now Dazzle 95 is owned by Jose Maria Enriquez Injira, who at the time was the vice president of the Spanish Football Refereeing Committee. Now, according to reports, Dazzle 95 would send Barcelona information for management to instruct the players of how best to behave towards the referee. Now, Enriquez Nigeria said Barcelona paid him to, quote unquote, to make sure no refereeing decisions were made against them, which is to say for everything to be neutral. Now, Gerard Piquet and Iki Casillas were discussing this last night on Spanish TV. Arsenal y Madrid somos siempre los más beneficiados, esto lo hemos dicho siempre. No, no, beneficiados. Espera un segundo. Escúchame una cosa. Que un equipo esté dos años sin recibir un penalti en contra o una roja Iker, era eso. Iker, Iker, Esa, es Iker, increíble en el Iker, fútbol, máquina. ¿Qué pasa? Iker. ¿Que no llegan a vuestro área o que con el tiki-taka ese no llegabais a vuestro Iker. área? Porque nosotros llegábamos. This just smells so fishy, uh, Gemma. What has the reaction been like in Barcelona? smell bad and uh, a lot of the members because this is a club let's not forget owned by members and uh, a lot of members want an explanation uh, when did this payment start because there are new documents coming being leaked in the press every day with new information more years and more money when did this started why what did these uh, uh, reports uh, were for uh, were they worth uh, half a million uh, per year as they were paying and the truth is that there's no explanation so far. Only short, briefly, explanation by President Joan Laporta denying everything, saying that this was, this is normally what just uh, for reports about uh, young players and no more explanation. So member, members are uh, really worried because uh, uh, at some point the, the, the public image of Barcelona, of course, is, is, is in danger and there's no explanation. When we try to ask Barcelona what they say is that uh, there is an internal investigation being conduct, conducted by the compliance department, but also for an external department. Uh, and once they have that information, they, they will uh, come and talk uh, publicly. But I think every day they miss doing that explanation. Things like what Casillas is suggesting, that for during two years, uh, Barcelona were uh, take benefit from the referees and they won titles. And not only Casillas, but uh, rivals like Deportivo Coruña, Atletico Madrid, or uh, Sevilla are saying that Maybe we should have won that Copa del Rey or that Liga because uh, you were cheating. So there's no explanation yet. They, they, they always say that they, they will have an explanation when they have all the report. But as you were mentioning, it smells uh, really bad. To make sure no refereeing decisions were made against them, which is to say for everything to be neutral. I mean, that's quite scary and, uh, of an allegation. Uh, I don't think you should be paying anybody that's involved with the domestic league that you perform in as a player or as a club uh, in any way, shape or form. Now look, we used to get referees and ex-referees both when I was in, in England and in Scotland. I'm playing with the national team to talk us through maybe some, some subtle law changes right. about, you know, you know, used to the tackle from behind and the World Cup in 98 was clearly going to be more stringent in what you could not could not get away with. And we used to get referees to come in 
the managers would get them to come in and explain what they would perceive to be dangerous or a high, a high foot or, a, a, or an outstretched arm for handball. But these were just voluntary you right. know, uh, referees that would come in and discuss these things prior to the season. But when you are being alleged to have paid the referees, I mean, I know what Barcelona are saying. They're saying, well, we, we, we paid to, to, uh, to understand, make our players understand better what's an infringement and what's not, to curb the amount of yellow cards and to curb the disciplinary problems. And the ex-referee is saying, no, no, I, I was paid to instruct other referees, basically, yep. to make sure you could be as subtle about letting Barcelona get away with things other than the other teams, and that's what Ica Casillas is suggesting. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, no red cards and no penalties in, what, two years is, is quite a thing. <laughs> it's quite a thing. You've got to be some defensive team to be able to get away with that. Uh, Luis, what's your reaction to this? Same last grey. Uh, I mean, I think it's uh, difficult to, to understand that kind of situation. Of course, I think they didn't go notice when that happened a long time ago, but now with this kind of uh, evidence, uh, totally true that uh, it, it creates a lot of doubts and certainties on what is happening around Barcelona. In this kind of moment where Barcelona is getting back to a good result, a good moment of uh, well, uh, playing well football, but definitely not easy. And I agree with you. We receive also uh, some uh, um, uh, reports when I was playing for Atletico Madrid from different um, referees to teach you what they were doing, uh, to tell you the way that they will go to approach uh, the different games, that they know that they were kind of get together the referee side to the player side and try to humanize a little bit both sides. So at the end, that, that connection has to be there, but I'm not sure how, how much it's worth and definitely will look forward to see what is happening uh, right there. Well, before Real Madrid have to think about Atleti, it's about Liverpool in the first leg, isn't it? At Anfield, according to the bookies, Real Madrid favourites to advance uh, the next round. Uh, Luis, it feels apt to start with you as a former Liverpool player and as a man who hates Real Madrid. Uh, so let's kick things off with that, shall we? And look at, uh, looking to this tie. So many different subplots from two teams who are in very different situations to the ones that met in the Champions League final last year. Yeah, definitely. It's, I don't hate, hate is a big word, but definitely I <laughs> don't like very much Real, Real Madrid. But it's true that they, they, both teams are arriving in different moments. I think Liverpool is recovering, getting back of what we've seen from Liverpool for many years after a very long period of uh, unfortunate result, not uh, good uh, performances. And Real Madrid, the way that they are. I mean, when they play Champions League, they are always favourite because you never know what Real Madrid are you are going to uh, see. The dominating or the one is going to win the result. So at the end, when they play Champions League, they always favourite, even though that I think that when they go to uh, Anfield, they are going to uh, struggle and, and have a, a not pleasing game when they play uh, in front of the, of the cup. Uh, Gemma, this is a game which just captures the whole world's imagination, in particular Spain and England. When you look at Spain, there's a big affinity to Liverpool, isn't there? And you're going to be there. Yeah, I'm going to be there excited to see again the cup and, and Anfield and that atmosphere. But I, I must confess it's probably my, my favourite one in the in the world. And it's a huge game and especially for Real Madrid. I think after that win in the club's World Cup, they somehow recovered the, the confidence in themselves. Also, uh, Ancelotti could even rest Benzema for that game and get a, a win in a difficult stadium like El Sadar. So I think both teams arrived to this uh, capital 
final game in, in, in a great moment, maybe. Uh, still recovering some key players, but I think it's going to be a, a big clash. But Real Madrid always have the, the second leg in the Bernabeu, and this is, means uh, a lot for Ancelotti's squad. It's a really difficult game, I think, to call this one. It is, but if you think about it in this way, Real Madrid, the, the two teams have had a drop-off from last year. Yeah. Real Madrid's has been a lot smaller than Liverpool's. Liverpool's has been a cliff. But they had a big result at, uh, at Newcastle at the weekend. The link-up play between Gakpo and Salah and Nunes is starting to take shape a little bit, although Darwin Nunes picked up a shoulder injury. It was a very innocuous challenge with uh, Kieran Trippi. He looked as if he fell on his shoulder, so he's a doubt for the game. Just when he's finding his form, his pace running in behind, the confidence he, he would get from that finish at Newcastle. So Liverpool are, are in a bit better spirits than they were, say, three or four weeks ago. Mm. But I still don't think they're in a good enough place to beat this Real Madrid side, particularly defensively. Early on in this Newcastle game at the weekend, they gave Liverpool a lot of problems. Two sucker punches, two goals, then Pop gets sent off. And it was a difficult game to call after that in terms of Liverpool weren't under that much pressure. But, but no, even though the two are not at their best, it is, has still got the makings of a really good game. But if I'm Liverpool, the one thing I want to test Real Madrid in the first leg at Anfield is can they match the tempo of our game? Mm -hmm. But if Liverpool play in the manner in which they have in some of the games this year, which really hasn't got the crowd behind them, which has been their mantra really over the last couple of years, then I think Real Madrid will handle it pretty easily. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Now that's it then. That brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Uh, be sure to stay tuned. Jan is back, as is Nadem Craig here as well, to answer your tweets for extra time. Welcome in then to the edition of Extra Time. Thank you, as always, for your questions. Craig Burley is with us. Jan Arga-Fjortov as well. Uh, Nadem's here. Nadem, I wanted to talk to you during the show about the, the Mbappe uh, situation. He, of course, kind of showed to his defenders it was four on one, yet you still let the Lille player score. If a striker did that to you when you were playing, how would you react? What would you do? How would you feel? Well, the strikers are very clever because they do it a long way away from where the defenders are. You know, it's like, oh, it's 4v1, but never shouting. It's like, oh, four on one. So, yeah, ultimately, it's the easiest job in the world to defend from a distance, isn't it? Come back here, maybe track him, maybe pass on some information, and maybe we'll be all right. How about that? That'd be frustrating, <laughs> wouldn't you, if a, player, if a team is doing that to you? Oh. <laughs> well, what about the defenders every time he misses a chance or does something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you imagine that conversation. Not that he misses many. What yeah. about what about what about Matt Mbappe filling up the uh, pockets of the PSG defenders? Oh, wow! All right then. Yeah. So it's all about the stri strikers can say whatever they want. 
as long as they're scoring of goals. Of course. Yeah? Yeah, all right then. Here we go then. <laughs> it continues. Thank you for everyone who reaches out and, and asks questions about Jan. Uh, this is our one for today. Jan, I've recently taken up running and find that I keep getting sore knees. Any tips from a running guru such as yourself? Nadim, have you seen never, this? Never, never compete on, yeah. with a fish. Never <laughs> compete with a fish. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I got a feeling that this will come today. I, I've kept this away from my family. I swear to God, I haven't shown them the video yet. <laughs> uh, the, the fish. Just, I know. I like it. Sense. Uh, yeah, but look at the fish. The fish, uh, to be fair to the fish, it was a fit fish. Oh, yes. Very fit fish. Yeah, very much yeah. so. And Nadim, of course, you were quite the runner in your youth. Uh, how would you assess uh, uh, Jan's technique? <laughs> to be honest, if I, when I get to his age, hopefully I make it to his age, if I can move on. Oh, we cut <laughs> off the compliment. That. <laughs> that was it. I don't think Jan realises what an inspiration he's been to people to get out there and... <laughs> <laughs> if he can do well, it, anybody can. Honestly, there's been a lot of people looking at that going, I need to get out there. Uh, right. But, but, to be, but to be fair, Craig and Dan and Nadim, I mean, they've never been a Norwegian running, and I include Karsten Varholm, Jakob Ingebrigtsen, who's been having his run taken all around the world as this fantastic run where the fish has been. Yeah. Oh, okay, away from the fish, let's talk about some soccer, shall we? Uh, Nader. Soccer. Can Rashford steal Haaland's Player of the Year season title? Um, I think the way he's going at the moment, I think yes. I think when it comes down to these awards, there's usually a huge element of recency bias. And while Rashford's scoring every single week, then what Haaland did in that first half of the season will feel like it's a lifetime ago. So I think he's going to have to carry on doing that, maybe getting to 25 goals or so in the league, maybe leading United to a Premier League title. And if he does, then yeah, but otherwise, you know, Haaland's got 32 in 30 games already. I think he's doing just fine for now. Who deserves it more at the moment, Jan? Odegaard or Haaland? I would say the number of goals that Erling has done, I would say Erling. And I think that it's so nice to listen to this discussion about Erling's lack of form. It's only a week since he scored against Arsenal in the title game and two, three weeks since he scored a hat-trick again. So, yes, there is no chance that, that he will not be a contender for Player of the Year title. But Rashford is doing fine. I actually think that, you know, I know he's got a, his quota of goals and he's done marvellously well. I actually think Rashford is playing better. Have you, right. as, a, as a general rule of thumb, if you yep. take in the whole, the whole side of his game. Uh, but I, obviously I think Haaland will outscore him at the end of it. But I think Rashford is, is, if you put his total game together, I think that's slightly better at the moment. Who are you picking first in the playground, Naden? Um... <laughs> Harland. Right. This is, uh, you know, I'm City TV, so obviously it's Harland. Oh, oh come on. Come on. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you can be objective. <laughs> i tell you what, the Norwegians are, you know what I was watching yesterday? What? You never guess what I was watching yesterday afternoon. And I thought the Norwegians were going to be great at this. I was watching the ladies downhill slalom. Oh, yeah. how boring. I oh, know, it's kind Craig, of repetitive. Craig, 
Craig Burley. Craig yeah. Burley, were you watching the slalom today? Henry Christofferson oh, was 16th after the first run and he won the world championship in slalom. It was a great run in the second half. And sorry that our ladies didn't win every time. But the Norwegians, we are just fantastic based on our population. We are just, I think we would be the greatest nation in the world in terms of sport. It is a bit repetitive, I must I admit. I, was, I think Michaela Schifrin won in the end, but I didn't what see... What did you do? Did you like fall asleep when it was on? No, I was, watching, uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> watching the <laughs> Liverpool-Newcastle yeah. game. On uh, <laughs> uh, on USA Network, and then I just left the telly on, and the slalom come on. And I thought, do you know what? I'll have a bit of this. Oh. How long did it last? No, I, I gave it an hour. Oh, blimey! I was Craig. trying to get into the analysis. Wow. How? What? Why can't they all just? No. What, no. No. <laughs> yeah, and you were skiing. You were skiing this weekend. Yeah, you posted a lovely picture on a on Twitter of yourself. I, I, I had a fantastic weekend off. I haven't had that for a while, but so I was skiing. Yes, I had uh, yesterday. I have downhill slalom, do my slalom, and today I went cross country skiing. And you know what the next question is? Obviously, on, you're a better it... skier than runner. Oh, there's no doubt. <laughs> but there's one. There's one good reason. There's no fish in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> I why, why did they call it downhill slalom, man? What are you doing? What a question that is. What a question that is. But my point <laughs> is, why did they have to call it downhill slalom? I mean, is there an uphill it's not slalom? No, there's no, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't know where to start from that question, but but uh, downhill is uh, uh, one discipline, and then you have the slalom, you have giant slalom, you have super G, and they all uh, go downhill if you're asking. Uh, do you know what I've always wanted to do? The ski jump. Oh, yeah, I bet people would like to see you do that. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie the Eagle. I bet people would, pay for, Eagle. I bet people would pay, pay for me to do that with yeah. absolutely no protection whatsoever. There you go. No helmet, nothing. Bosh, down. Just down. He head first. Craig, Craig Burley, Burley I've, I've learned to know you and I've talked to a lot of people. There are so many people around the world who would love to see you in a ski jump without a helmet. There we 100%. Go. It could be like Perfect. some sort of clay... Mostly it's family. Well, it could be like some sort of clay pigeon event shooting as well. Does that take off? Like people shoot at you. People try and shoot at you. Uh, play pigeon, it's quite easy. It's quite a big challenge. Uh, Nathan, where do you stand on skiing? Boring? Yes, is the right answer. Yeah. All right, yeah, fair enough. Cheers for that, Dan. No, yeah. that's all good. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Ski, Cheers for you? that. No, and people who do ski like, oh, no, you have to go and do it. It's brilliant. Well, I used to take my daughter oh, to ski Sunday. Come down, go up, fall over, break your leg, come down. Ugh. Get on the, uh, the lift. Yeah, on the lift. Got paid for that. that thing. Pay for that. Do that. Mate, but there we are. There Freezing are. cold. Oh, cold. Got to get the glasses, the big coat. Boring. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> you're so you're so English and British. I mean, we have to. I mean, we have to understand around the world that you are the two most British people in the whole world. I don't think so. No, no, that, that's no. fair. We, we we certainly you know indulge in other cultures, but skiing is boring. Right. Yeah. Why do Spurs look better when Conte is not on the touchline, Nadem? <laughs> uh, that's um, that is a tough one. Dan. We wish him well, uh, obviously. Two and two together. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe it's because he's done such a great job with his coaching staff. So whoever fills in for him does a great job. So yeah, I don't know. It's not great. It's not looking great at the moment. But we do wish him well. Hopefully, he comes back soon. Oh, there we go. You know, nice. his assistant. His assistant has. Did you hear this on the t uh, on the on the 
the telecast today? No, I didn't hear it on the telecast. I was looking for another. What's this? What's this? What happened to 1930? Should we hear it on the telecast? We're listening on the wireless. Telecast is an Americanism. Is it not? I don't think it is. Yeah, I've heard American colleagues call these things telecasts. Right. What do we call it? TV. Do you see it on the TV? Do you see it on the TV? Yes. Conte's assistant, his loyal assistant, had been five times on the sideline when Conte's not been there and they've won every game. Wow. And that's, that's now wow. six today. Oh. See, now he'll be thinking wow. to himself, I could do it better than him. I need to branch out yes, on my much. own, yeah. away yeah. from <laughs> this away from this hindrance. Yes, away from Conte. That's how you get away from a hindrance. Okay. Get away from you. Dan let us all know, oh, this was on yesterday's show, the last time Chelsea had a similar worst run of results was in 1995. Craig was part of that team. Oh. What was it like being part of a dressing room going through that run and how does one turn it around? I think it was one win in ten. Was it? Worst record since 95, yeah. Well, we'd been to the cup final the year before, so... Glenn wasn't under... Glenn Hoddle, that is, wasn't under particular, particularly a lot of pressure. Uh, that is the year we went out of the FA Cup as well to Millwall when Casey was playing. Right. And they were in the second tier. I don't remember. I don't remember that run right. to be honest. We just, see, we just rush it off. Exactly. <laughs> it's so it's so commonplace in your career. No, no. We just Chelsea, Derby, the... horrible runs. It no. Just kind of all goes. Why together. did you ever mention Celtic? <laughs> oh, because you won at Celtic, didn't you? You always you always go for the negatives. No, I don't. Because if I mentioned Celtic, well, listen, you, you'll bring up listen, your player of the I year. I didn't. I didn't join Derby expecting to go on some incredible run because I knew what I was getting into. Right. It was a bit of a the money. What? You just went for the money? No, I went to help Jim Smith. Right. And the money. No, I, I actually, I actually uh, I played for nothing. Yeah, right. I just played for Jim. Yeah, right. Uh, would Chelsea be better off with Lukaku? If so, should Potter utilise him next season, Jan? Well, it's easy to say now that everybody's not there. They will be better with with them, of course. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that is... Uh, matter of Lukaku or not. I think that is to, to the next last question about what is happening in the dressing room. There is some dynamic going on at the time and I think that there's a lot of the time when, when the players look around, they see world star players, at, lo- at least very expensive players, and then kind of all the debate around Graham Potter means that they kind of find their alibi, they're kind of hiding behind the manager's skirt and everything, and <laughs> and maybe Craig doesn't remember his time there. Oh. I've, I've been I've been in some struggling stress rooms in my time, and it's it, there is a much more soap at Oprah than you think, and I think at the at, at, at Chelsea at the moment now, they are all pointing at the managers, even the players, because that is just the dynamic of, of how a dressing room is working. Yeah, Nadam, can you empathise with that sort of thing when you had bad runs? Was it all about oh. the blame game? Uh, it can be for certain people. Uh, so my run was at QPR, first season back in the Premier League, and we went out of 15 or 16 games without a win down. So as you can imagine, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And in that moment, <laughs> you look around and some people are saying, well, the manager's getting this wrong. Why is this player playing? Why is that player playing? Shouldn't we be playing? Change everything, change the tactics. Because I think when you're winning, everyone's on the same page. But when yeah. you start to lose, all of a sudden, the difference in ideas and what's required really kicks in. Like when I was there at QPR, some players wanted to show character and get on the ball and play, whereas others, others wanted to show character and go and kick people. Try putting those two groups of people together on the field and try and be successful. 
And I think in that Chelsea dressing room, it seems like they need to have an extension to add more lockers. And Lukaku coming back in could be great because he can score, but would he even play? Would he make a squad? Would he be happy? Probably not, because it seems like something's missing right now. We must have did some right, you know. Glenn Hoddle got the England job. Right. Did he get the England job because we made him look bad? Or we made him look decent? Right. You tell me. Well, you still went on a horrible Craig. run. It's, we're not oh, talking, we're, we were just talking about that run. Yeah, but You'd have to get all sensitive about it. I'm not. I don't remember it. <laughs> uh, for Jan, which star Bundesliga forward has more potential? Nkunku or Muani? Wow, that is a good question. Uh, uh, he's back in Kunku now, uh, and he's looking well. But I will, I would pick Muani in terms of potential. If I should put a tag on one of them, I will put that on Muani. Muani's been having an unbelievable run. He will still remember that miss in the in the World Cup final, of course. But he's been doing fantastic for Eintracht Frankfurt. Having said that, this is a this is a great player for for Chelsea. This is a great signing as one of the other 20 great signings they've had. So uh, <laughs> I wish Ancunco all the best. Uh, Nadem, last week everyone on the show thought Real Madrid would beat Liverpool. Are your thoughts the same? Uh, they're not actually. They're not. And it's not because I've been, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid since Liverpool won their last two league games. I just have a feeling about it. I think, as you saw from the matchup between Barcelona and Manchester United, Barcelona are top of La Liga, eight points clear. United are in third. But from a matchup standpoint, I always fancied United. And I think the same thing is going to happen for this Liverpool game. I could be very wrong. Second leg being at Bernabeu. We've seen them struggle. We've seen many team goals. They're still leaning towards Liverpool, but time will tell. Wi-Fi just hanging on, uh, Nadem. Uh, Jan, where are you going? Yeah. You normally do Champions League. Uh, yes, I'm working more or less uh, the whole, whole week, but I'm going to Old Trafford for that game, and I, I'm certainly looking forward to it. I think that was a very open and good game mm. at Camp Nou, and I expect this to be a, from Dramaturgy, a very good game. Oh, what well, I'd pay to see Jan running around the fields. <laughs> with a, at Old Trafford with a fish with a fish behind them and everybody in the crowd going what's what, going on what the hell's happening here inside joke the inside joke <laughs> they love playing this I know well, this, how many times I was going to move on this video this video is on tap I know it is but it's, it's the leg action I can't get Pete just gets excited about it doesn't he this is just one foot. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. To be fair to myself, I have one foot. Right, there we go. Right, I'm bored of this now. No, next final uh, final question. Who's surviving? <laughs> Leeds, okay. Bournemouth, West Ham, Everton, Southampton. Nadam. Everton uh, and Leeds. <sighs> West Ham going down. Ooh. Oh, sorry, yeah. No, let me, let, me, let me wind that back. Okay. West Ham and Everton. West Ham and Everton, yeah. My bad. Wow, take that, Leeds. <laughs> uh, Jan? Oh, this is difficult. I would say Bournemouth, I would say Southampton, both winning away from home. Uh, always teams too good to go down. Uh, I would say Wolves, uh, Southampton and Bournemouth. Wolves, Southampton, Bournemouth. Oh, uh, wow. Bournemouth, Leeds United. I get a Wolves sound. Bournemouth, Leeds United, Southampton. Okay. 
That is it. Oh, run the video again. That's out. <laughs> run that blooming <laughs> video. Run, I'm not watching Jan run around. <laughs> oh, no, Felix! <laughs> go don't on, yeah. Go on, yeah. Let's oh, go. God, no, one, no one cares about it anymore. Uh, Naden, where are you going this week? What are you up to? Oh, no, that's it. <laughs> oh, no. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Happy skiing. Yeah, yeah, enjoy your skiing, everybody. Uh, we will be back. Bye, bye. Kratzenberg's here tomorrow. He's got a lot, a lot of explaining to do. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is to not search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com FC. Just go to Indeed.com FC right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com FC. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 